0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's
2: fastest growing TV brand.
3: They are out. I am in. My name is Darren Doogie Wolfson. One week from tonight, the Gophers men's basketball team is in Madison to take on the Badgers. It's time to see how good the Gophers can be this year. Joining us now to talk Gophers men's basketball plus some other Big Ten talking points and even maybe an NBA talking point or two from the Big Ten Network, former Minnesota Timberwolves, former Purdue Purdue Boilermaker, it is Robbie Hummel. Robbie, thanks for the time this afternoon. You know, let's just start. My co-host and I, last segment, Manny Hill, were reminiscing about your collegiate career. Are we right that you suffered... Was it an ACL or a really bad injury? Was it at Williams Arena?
2: Yeah, at the barn. Yep, tore my ACL um, late February. Um, with uh, we, we were actually playing really well. We'd won I think nine or ten games in a row. We were ranked third in the country. Um, and unfortunately, yes, the barn is it wasn't my favorite place to play. But once that happens, obviously, uh, it's hard to feel the same about it. But it is a great venue for college basketball.
3: And was that your first or did you have multiple significant injuries in college? That was
2: my first one. So that was my first, uh, ACL there. And then I actually got hurt the the first day of practice, uh, my senior year. So I just out that year and then came back for a fifth year.
3: So I mean, what was that process like? I mean, as we bounce all around here, what was that process like to fight back, not from one, but multiple serious injuries to eventually get
2: drafted? Yeah, sure. It, it's tough. I mean, I I was playing the best basketball in my career. My junior year, we were on a roll. Um, we were, I want to say, twenty-two and three at that point, looking to get one seed and and to get injured at, at that point in the season. It's it's pretty mentally, um, you know, devastating, especially for a twenty-one-year-old kid. So I, I think as soon as it happens, um, I remember being in, in the training room right down down the stairs at a, at the barn and. It actually, it stopped hurting. You know, I, I thought I could go back in. The orthopedic surgeon that uh, the University of Minnesota had, had on staff there was kind of like, you know, I asked him, can I go back in? Because <laughs> the pain, had subsided. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, not tonight, buddy. <laughs> 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 um, but the process is long. You know, it gets, it's very tedious. You do the same thing over and over again. You can't play, and you're so used to being able to play and be a part of a team every day. And I think that's the hardest part. You know, it's, you just kind of feel a little bit of a disconnect. I didn't play basketball for really probably 18 months at a competitive level. So you're on the team, but you feel a little bit removed. And then when you do it again, it can be really tough. But I knew I wanted to play, and I always kept the thought of how fun is it to play in the Big Ten? Or you go on the road or you play home games in front of big crowds. you're on – networks like the big network and espn and cbs and and i love the ncaa tournament i loved it as a kid i grew up a ball boy for for university when bryce drew was there so Mm -hmm. i've always been obsessed with the ncaa tournament i wanted to get back and i hoped that i could play in the nba again because you know that has been a goal and something that i thought i was maybe close to achieving and then uh, it kind of got you know, railroaded for a while, but it was it was something that I'm glad I did. It's it's a rewarding experience, and while it was tough, it's I love to play basketball at the end of the day.
3: Did injuries just catch up to you? I mean, you're still a relatively young man. I mean, what 29 years old, and you've made a phenomenal transition to doing the TV work, but. I mean, heck! If your body allowed, would you still be playing somewhere? Whether you know here if in the states was, or over I in Europe?
2: Because I was injured. Actually, I, I played my last year in Moscow in Russia, and actually, Alexei Fed convinced me to come over to their team. And I mm. cut by the Nuggets. I was the last cut, and I got this offer to go play for this team called Kimki in Moscow. And Alexei called me up, and you know I, there was this coach that was coaching there. His name's Dushko Ivanovich, He's a legend in European basketball circles, and. He's also, you know, he's won Euroleague as a player. He won Euroleague as a coach in Spain. But he's got a big time reputation as being, uh, a jerk, I guess he would be the nice way of saying it. <laughs> um, so I called Alexi and, or maybe even Alexi, Alexi called me and we're talking and I asked him, I said, you know, how's Deuce go? I, I know he's got a big <laughs> reputation for making guys run and he can be crazy and I, I've heard all these stories. And Alexi was like, oh, no, he's been really good. You know, it's come on over. So I end up signing and going over there, and Alexi lied, man. He was, <laughs> This dude was insane. We'd start practice, and we'd run on the court for 20 minutes like we were on the cross-country team. Um, just a complete nut job. So I, I had had enough um, playing in Russia. There was one or two things a day where I'd be like, dude, this place is just insane. And I just couldn't go back. I could not go back overseas. And uh, it's not because I wasn't playing. You know, I averaged 11 points a game. I shot 47% from three. I just didn't want to play overseas anymore. Uh, I had enough. And actually, I'm, I've been fortunate. Do you remember Craig Moore from Northwestern? I'm trying to picture him. Manny? He's a shooter. Um, he played there. Like my, my freshman and sophomore year, he was a junior and senior. He was like a 13 All Big kid guy. Could really shoot. Name sounds um, very but familiar. But he's gotten me into, in the summers, I, this last summer, I played three-on-three. Um, it's an Olympic sport in 2020. Our team ended up being the number six team in the world. Uh, so we have a great chance of playing the Olympics, and we'll see what happens with that. But it was fun. You know, I played in Shanghai, Beijing, Seoul, Amsterdam, Italy, uh, kind of all over the place. And it, it's been a little bit of an adjustment, but it's been the perfect deal where you retire from playing professionally, you call games all winter and in the, in the spring and summer. You kinda of get to travel the world and you don't have to stay there for ten months. And you don't have crazy European coaches screaming at you all the time. You go over there, you play, and then you come home.
3: Yeah, I mean that is the perfect balancing act. I mean, are you really enjoying the, the Big Ten Network job and analyzing Big Ten games?
2: No, I have. And I, I've been very fortunate in terms of the Big Ten Network and ESPN. Uh, you know, I've I've gotten a lot of games. I've I've done a lot of Big Ten. Obviously with the Big Ten Network, but also on ESPN, and I've done a lot of Big Twelve as well. So I, I think it's it's been great. My agent did a really good job. I've really enjoyed it. And when you think about it, there's a lot worse things you could be doing than sitting courtside at a college basketball game and and talking about it. So I've been really fortunate. I have really enjoyed it.
3: The better conference is between those two because the Big Twelve is really good, but I think the Big Ten is loaded.
2: This year, the Big Ten, last year I say the Big 12. The Big 12 was loaded last year, and this year uh, the Big 12's turned over a good amount, similar to the Big East, maybe not as much. Uh, the Big East, or the Big Ten, excuse me, I, I think there were so many young players last year, and they've all gotten a year older and put a year of work into their games, and there's a lot of really good basketball teams in the Big Ten. And, and you even you look at how many quality teams there are, there's not going to be an easy night in the league. At all, you know. You look at Rutgers at home; that's not kind of a fun place to go and play. Like you look at Northwestern, who's had some struggles. Their roster's pretty good. So, and those are teams that probably right now they are not probably, but they wouldn't be NCAA tournament teams today. So, you look at the teams that are. It's a scary league this year.
3: Yeah, I mean, and that's the slippery slope for for the local team, the Gophers. Robbie, we're talking about Robbie Hummel, Big Ten Network analyst, among other duties. I mean, they have a good roster but I'm trying to find the path to 10 more victories. So they're 1-1 one and one so far in Big Ten play. Can they win 10 more games? They have 18 to go before the Big Ten tournament. Can they get to 10 more victories? And you look at the schedule, and I'm with you, Robbie. There's, I don't know if there's one give-me. I mean, maybe hey, Rutgers going at home. To
2: Illinois, because of the way that Illinois plays. They don't yeah. reverse the basketball. They make your guards really make plays. I think that's a scary game. You know, Going to Penn State is never easy. And those are the bottom tier teams in the league right now, so you start talking about the Michigans, Michigan State, Ohio, State, Wisconsin, Indiana, Nebraska, uh, I think Minnesota those are the probably the the top teams in the league right now. Uh, I think the, the main thing you have to focus on is you just have to you have to hold start at home. You cannot lose home games this season because the road is going to be crazy. It's just going to be so hard to win on the road with as many quality teams as we have this year.
3: Specifically on the gophers, how good do you think they can be? You know, I, I think
2: it, it all starts with Jordan Murphy, <laughs> which, of course— uh, The elephant
3: in the room. You brought him up. I was going to bring him up eventually, no, no, Robbie, I, but you I, brought
2: him up. We, we can get to that. It needs yeah. to be talked about. But you look at the way he's played. Uh, I don't care who you are. You get 30 points and 16 rebounds. I don't care who you're playing. Um, he, he makes double-doubles look routine. And you get a double-double in a Big Ten game, that, that means you're, you're doing some serious work on the glass. It, it's just not an easy thing to do. And he does it every night. And he's consistent in the way he plays. I think Latourou um, has really come along. You look at a guy that's the reigning Big Ten freshman of the week and what he has become. Um, But also from a guard's perspective, you have Dupreme Prayer, you have Amir Coffey, you have guys that are experienced Big Ten players that are really good. So I think the point guard position is always going to be the question for this team,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we see Isaiah Washington play well in stretches where he, he scores the ball or he has you know 13 assists or whatever. But then I'll have a game where he's got three points and no assists, and from a defensive standpoint, he just doesn't always give you that type of effort. So I think with him, consistency is so key,
1: and I
2: think Amir coffee's done a good job of, of filling in as that kind of. point forward role or uh, he's not really a forward he's more of a guard but not a, not a true point but but doing a good job of facilitating the offense and you saw what he did against Nebraska he's certainly capable of being a big time player in this league. It, it's going to be interesting. I, I think the freshman class is, is a great building piece though. You, you look at those guys, we already talked about Aturu but Omerza Gabe Calphins had a good freshman year hasn't shot the, the ball from three as well Maybe as of late, as he did early in the season, but just a good group. And you look at keeping Minneapolis kids in Minnesota, that's going to be just so important for Richard Pacino. And it's been hard because whether well, that's the Blue Bloods coming to get him or Wisconsin or some of the other programs around the area, that they've really poached Minneapolis.
0: Robbie, I was, you know, one of the concerns that I had with the Gophers going into this year. I thought they'd be very good, but you know, depth depth was going to be a concern of mine. And and how how big is it going to be for them to get Eric Curry back as soon as they can? It sounds like Doogie, maybe a few. He's still a few weeks away from maybe coming back, or maybe I don't late know if January. it's a few. But I mean, I, I, I realistically, Robbie, mind, you know,
2: yeah. I thought what Richard Petino said. He.
0: he good play as early as I think it's Mount St. Mary's
3: it is yeah I mean they get Mount St. Mary's on Sunday and he may play Sunday we'll have a better sense maybe tomorrow or Saturday but I, I just I think realistically Robbie I mean he hasn't played a meaningful game since March of 2017 the NCAA right. tournament yeah lost to Middle Tennessee State that first round game he did play in that secret scrimmage in October at yep. Creighton but I'm talking you know a game with a crowd and you know well, everything a real game. he hasn't played two,
2: for 18 months yeah, there's two sides of that story, though. Do you want to? If he's ready to play, getting him some minutes, I would think against Mount St. Marys wouldn't be a bad thing.
3: Oh, agree. Uh, I'm just saying, expectation
2: wise, uh, I think yeah, we need to wait
3: many weeks for him to get back to the player he can be.
2: I, I just remember myself. I, I would say coming back into my fifth year, there was a period of time where I, I really played poorly I didn't shoot the ball well. My legs weren't back, just from a conditioning standpoint. You, you just have to be in a certain shape. I, like, Perform at a high level in in the Big Ten or even in college basketball. So I think expectations should certainly be tempered, but there is something to be said for a guy that's been through and has had some success. So he certainly has experience, and you're right; it's been a long layoff. It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a process for him, and like you said, there you don't want to expect him to be the guy you saw against Middle Tennessee, and he was a really good player. He was a huge piece of that team. So. We'll see, hopefully, the sooner the better, but I would think if he's healthy enough to go and he feels confident, Mount St. Mary's, it's a heck of a lot easier to get broken in against them at home than it is going to the call center.
3: Give us a little bit more, Robbie, on Jordan Murphy and how much blowback did you get from, from some Gophers fans?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, so the the way it went down, um, you know, I guess, and you learn this as you work more in television, there was a graphic that was made, and we had talked about it a little bit, but Jordan Murphy isn't in the pictures. So he was on the bottom. And it said honorable mention. But we were really talking about just the best big guys, so fours and fives in the conference. So before the game, we talked about it. And we're like, ooh, that's Jordan Murphy's having a crazy year. He averages almost 13 rebounds a game. He should probably be up on the pictures. But they didn't Mm -hmm. have time to change the graphic because the game was going to start, and they're, you know, you ever been in a TV truck, there's oh, a lot sure. going on before the there's game. There's a ton going so, on, yeah, a lot of moving pieces. So they were pieces. like, you know, we don't have time to change it. We'll just make a point to, to mention it, and that will be good enough. So, okay, cool. So the game starts, and I think when you do a game, you, you can have a tendency to get really locked into the team you're seeing. So we're coming back from a timeout, and the producer's in your ear, and he tells us we're going to do the big guy package with, the, with the, the graphic of all the guys in the Big Ten. And my play-by-play guy, who I've worked with a good amount, he I, he misinterpreted what our producer said. He thought we were going to do a big guy package on the two bigs in the current game. Mm. They were both playing well, Caleb Lesson. So he starts, he comes back from break, and, and his this happens all the time, but he said something like, you know, hey, let's take a look at the two big guys today. Well, this graphic is coming. So all of a sudden my thought process has gone from make sure – you talk about Jordan Murphy. To holy crap, this is really messed up. We got to get this back on track. To talk about all the guys in the Big Ten now. Going-? So that comment gets made, and then I think my mind just went to you know Caleb West is in this game. Get to him, and I I never got to Jordan Murphy. And when that got tweeted out, all the Minnesota fans were ticked, and they should be. I mean, it, you know, it's it shouldn't happened. but in in a live TV broadcast, there's a lot of stuff that happens where you're like, it, it's a uh, ad lib or it's it doesn't go according to the plan. And we got a little bit thrown off. And from there, it just, I, I never got to him. And it's, it's not that I don't think he's good. I, I have a tremendous respect for him as a player. He's a stud. And like I said before, anybody that gets 16 rebounds in a game, I don't care who you are, I don't care who you do it against. That, that's a grown man effort. So if it, the season ended the day, to me, he's a first team all league guy.
3: Perfect. So, okay, that clears the, the
2: air. Fans. <laughs> All right, so you
3: think you think the absolute world of Jordan Murphy, Robbie? We'll leave you with this talking about Robbie Hummel. How about some memories of playing for the Wolves? Your two years with the with the Minnesota Timberwolves.
2: Yeah, um, you know it was a great experience getting to play for both Flip and Rick uh, Adelman, two Hall of Fame coaches, uh, two guys that really knew the ins and outs of the NBA and and how to run a team and. Um, just, just a, a great time. I, I love the NBA. I, I really, I always have. I grew up a big '90s Bulls fan. Any kid that was around the Chicago area, I don't know how you could. But um, great group of guys. Guys I still talk to. Um, it was fun and getting to play with Kevin Garnett for for three months. Even though we weren't, we were really bad. My second season. Uh, it, that was something that you know, you're playing with a legitimate all-time great in the game of basketball. So that was cool. Um, but. I think my first year was one of those deals where we we really had a good team, but the Western Conference was loaded. Um, we had some injuries, but playing with the group with Kevin Love in his last season, Ricky Rubio, Kevin Martin, um, and I look back on those times and there's some of the funniest, best stories I have from basketball. Um, and I, I, if we have time, I could. My favorite one actually comes from that year. Uh, you'll have to ask next time you see Gorgie Dang. Yeah, well, him, he's still ask here. Ask him about. Mm-hmm what kevin durant said to him as rookie (laughs) Okay, (laughs) because is it clean uh, i've never seen this before yeah well i'll give you the edited version but it's good (laughs) so we're playing the thunder it's like the fourth game of the season i just made the team you know I, i was drafted in the second round so i had to make the team um in training camp and we're playing and we're playing the thunder and Durant actually is off to a bad start. You know, he's not playing well early in the game. Corey Brewer's guarding him, doing a really good job, contesting shots, staying with him. And we're up eight. So Durant misses a shot in front of our bench, and the ball gets knocked out of bounds. So Gorgie, who I'm sitting next to, claps his hands and says, good D, Brew. like He's cheering on Corey Brewer. Yeah. And Durant hears him and says, you know, it wasn't good D, Brew. It was bad shot, Kevin. With some more words, yeah, a few so more. So I'm words. like, I was like, dude, I've, I've never really heard anybody say anything like that. So, so Durant gets the ball, drills a three, and stares Gorgie down. So our eight point lead is now five. So we come back on offense and or on, excuse me on defense. Corey still guarding Durant. Durant gets the ball, drills another three, stares Gorgie down again. Um, so so our five point lead is now two. We go back. On offense, we don't score again. Back on deep. Ball gets knocked out in front of our bench. Durant comes over, looks at Gorgie, and just verbally eviscerates him. Like, oh who are you? I've never heard of you. I have no idea how you're in the league. I don't even know where you played in college. <laughs> and, like, our assistants are screaming at Gorgie. Like, Jack Sickman's like, Gorgie, shut up. Stop talking to Kevin Durant. That was a bad game, and now he's on fire. <sighs> So Gorgie's like, I'm not saying anything. And I'm thinking to myself, like, good God, thank you that it wasn't me. Because it it, it, all he said was good deep brew. So Durant gets the ball, hits a step back fadeaway three, beats his chest, yells at our bench. And I was like, dude, I never want to get subbed in. I never want to play. Like, let me just sit here and watch. And it was all because Gorgie just said good deep, good deep Oh,
3: Robbie, that is that is fantastic. Let's end on on that great note. Robbie, thank you so much. On Twitter, at Robbie Hummel. Robbie Hummel from the Big Ten Network, among other places. Robbie, thank you so much, and Happy New Year.
2: Yep, you too. Thanks for having me, guys.
3: At the voice of Robbie Hummel, former Purdue Boilermaker, got hurt at Williams Arena as he laid out. Former Minnesota Timberwolf played overseas but said enough is enough after playing for a crazy coach in Russia, Alexi Shved's team, and now he's doing great TV work. 421 here on 1500 ESPN on this Thursday. Darren Doogie Wolfson in for Mackey and Judd. Manny Hill is here co-hosting. When we come back, let's get back to the news of the day. Nelson Cruz agrees to terms with the Minnesota Twins.
1: Don't go anywhere. More Mackey and Judd coming up next. Oh. Just what they'll be expecting us to do on 1500 ESPN. (laughs) Mackie and Judd are back.
0: Please continue on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check uh, traffic very quickly here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Uh, The metro area mostly quiet right now. Of course, a lot of people out of town for the uh, holiday season. But uh, just one crash to tell you about. In the area, 62 eastbound uh, near Edina between Highway 100 and uh, 121. Uh, We've got a crash in that area, maybe slowing things down a little bit. But otherwise, uh, things moving smoothly around the metro.
3: Yeah, not a shock. I mean, a lot of people on vacation this right. week. I dropped off the four-year-old at preschool this morning. He's got a class of 12. It was him and another kid. <laughs> Two kids. And he stayed home yesterday just based on my wife and I's schedule. He was able to stay home yesterday. And the instructor, the teacher, said, "Yeah, yesterday one girl out of twelve. There was Pretty one easy there. day of class. So, yeah, so it was him <laughs> and his buddy, two teachers. Yeah, you, know, you need more than one for four-year-olds. So they've got two teachers. So both teachers are there this morning at nine fifteen. That's awesome. And it's two kids, with my son being the second. So yeah, that's just further proof that people are off this week. But I do have a question before we get to the news of the day." So a lot of people are off. Mm-hmm. Is the beer show off? I mean, every Thursday at six, I think
0: the beer is show the is beer on. Show, I think the beer show is on. It's me.
3: on, good. Okay. So for my own selfish reasons. I did see Reavers earlier. There's today. a lot of beer brought in, right? Like every show? Just about, yeah. So I mean there's beer for me to take home? Maybe if you stick Can around. Can I make that leap? Enough? Maybe. If you stick around long enough. <laughs> well, I mean, you produce the show. Do you get to take some beer home? Occasionally. All right, yeah. so hopefully there's. You know. I'm not asking for a lot, and who knows? <laughs> Maybe Reavers is listening right now. Maybe one of his many co-hosts
0: is listening he right might be now, out bringing some extras. He might be out in the hallway right now. So yeah, speak. this is a great
3: day to be in here with the beer show coming up at six. I love it. We'll get to Greg Bishop in just a few minutes from Sports Illustrated. He had inside access for four months to the Vikings. Just posted a story on Monday Morning Quarterback, and it also is in this week's Sports Illustrated magazine. If you actually still get the magazine, so available online. And in the actual magazine, he just he has a bunch of good tidbits on the Vikings. So we'll get to Greg in just a bit. But the local sports news of the day is the Twins agreeing the terms with Nelson Cruz. Mm-hmm. Multi-time All-Star. Heck, he's finished top 15 in MVP voting four times. Multiple Silver Slugger awards. Heck, even last year at 37 still put up pretty good numbers. You go back about four or five years, does anybody have more home runs? Than Nelson Cruz?
0: I think I saw a stat line across ESPN, the bottom line, earlier today when the news first broke that I think he's got 205 home runs since 2014.
3: And he just he destroys the ball. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to dig in on the analytics, outside of J.D. Martinez, going back like three or four years, nobody has hit the ball as hard as Nelson Cruz. Oof. So even at 38 next year... At $14 the Twins have a team option for 2020, but it's essentially a one-year deal, tiny buyout, if they don't exercise the option. All things considered, bring it on. And if they need to punt on Tyler Austin eventually, because he's out of options, I don't think you do that right now. You can create a 40-man spot other ways, but Mm -hmm. eventually you probably move on from Tyler Austin. So be it. He's Nelson Bleep and Cruz. Yeah. This excites me.
0: I think if you can get like a 265, 270, 30 home run, maybe drive in about 90 runs from him, which I think at even just based on what he's done the last couple of years, he's more than capable of doing that. I think I think the Twins will be very, very happy if they get yeah, kind of that I mean, kind of season out of him.
3: The last five years, minimum thirty home thirty-five home runs, ninety RBIs. Mm-hmm. See so at the bare minimum, I mean, if he's doing that ages 36 and 37 because a lot of baseball players break down 34 35 36. he's the exception mm-hmm. so if you're producing 35 home runs and 90 RBIs as a 36 and 37 year old, you probably do that as a 38 year
0: old and the fact that he's just a d he's basically just a DH now and you're not putting him out in the field and just he can just focus on hitting on a daily basis like that I think I think this is a I think this is a great signing for them
3: and I think it's a better home ballpark to hit in compared to Seattle. So maybe that aids him
1: mm-hmm.
3: getting that many more home at bats, the 81 home games. You know, he's not going to play the field. I mean, heck to me, there'd have to be an emergency, right. I mean, They can say he can play right field. He's not a right fielder. He's a DH. He's strictly mm-hmm. a DH. Yep. But yeah, I mean, this, this is a good move. I like it. It's a really good move. And there's no way to quantify this, but you think about the impact he can have on fellow Dominican, Miguel Sano. mm mm-hmm. A guy like Jorge Polanco?
0: Those are the ones I'm looking at, for sure.
3: Others? Yeah, I mean, heck, I can't find, and trust me, I like to nitpick. I'm a skeptic by nature. I can't nitpick anything on this move. This is a really good move. And they beat out the Astros and Rays. Now, I guess the Rays didn't make an official offer. They talked parameters. We're getting into semantics, but they talked parameters mm-hmm. of a $12 million deal. The Astros didn't offer 14. I mean, clearly, you'd go to Houston if the offers were the same. You'd go chase a ring with the Astros. So the Twins offered the most money. But hey, how often can we say the Twins beat out other teams by offering the most money? So I really like this move. Nelson Cruz to the Twins. It can't become official, so the Twins can't comment on the record until he passes a physical. But others can talk about the agreement, including his agent, Bryce Dixon, the agent for Nelson Cruz, hopefully. I know he's mid-flight right now. Hopefully he joins us one hour from now. But when we come back, we'll talk Vikings with Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated. Stay with us.
1: Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley-dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yes. On 1500 ESPN.
3: Welcome back, everyone. It is hour number two here on the Mackey and Judge Show. Those guys are out. I am in. My name is Darren Doogie Wolfson. Joining us now from Sports Illustrated, it is Greg Bishop. His most recent story on Monday morning quarterback is titled A Season in the Heartland. He was embedded with the Vikings. He got intimate access with the Vikings going back the last four months. So we figured, hey, with that sort of access, let's have Greg on. Greg, before we get to some of the nuts and bolts of the story... Take us through your pitch, whether it was Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, how much resistance was there, and how open were they to you doing this story?
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good question because it was pretty, um, you know, I've never done a story quite like this before. I try to do one project a year on the NFL, and one year that was traversing the country for a series we called Football in America. That was a 30,000-word story right before Trump was elected that was basically looking at the state of the game throughout the United States. Uh, one year I talked to the same four players every Monday to detail just how much stuff they do every Monday afternoon and evening to get ready to go back to practice again. And so I've always wanted to like kind of try something with the team, but you know, pitching something like this is not easy. I think there would be many teams that would look at it and just say that it was crazy at the outset. Uh, what attracted me to the Vikings in particular is I think that they're in a really interesting sort of moment in time. You know, here's a team with a new stadium that just hosted the Super Bowl. They've got this kind of crazy, uh, you know, I think it's tortured history, uh, and yet they've been really good for a long time. They've had amazing players go through there. They've got this new facility that, in my opinion, is the best one in the NFL. It, it reminds me more of ones I've seen at, like, Oregon or Clemson. And they've got this, you know, this team that's well-built that went to the NFC title game last year that had this Minnesota miracle and then went out and paid Kirk Cousins, you know, an unprecedented uh, amount of money guaranteed in the contract and so. I just felt like it would be interesting to follow the team on the cusp. Uh, you know, I think their first reaction to it was probably that I was crazy. <laughs> and I think we did a we did a fair amount of talking about you know why it might be a good idea, what they hoped you know to sort of get across in the story, and how you know what I thought about the piece might align with what they were hoping you know to tell about themselves. And so you know, I think that was sort of the baseline of everything, and what made it tricky. And I really appreciated them sticking with me on all this was just once the season started spinning like how do we handle it what do we do when do i come out i mean there were you know tons and tons of discussions around all that so that that's the uh long story short version for you there but uh you know we talked a lot about what it would look like we talked a lot about who i'd need and we talked a lot as we went along as to how the story would take shape so there, there was quite a bit of uh, back and forth there that more than i than I would typically have on a story
3: did they offer, Greg, any resistance on some of the details that you were privy to? I mean, you're watching tape with coaches, you're in team meetings, I mean, you're hearing, you're seeing all sorts of different things. Did they ever come to you and say, hey, I know that you just saw that, heard that, but don't report that?
1: You know, to their credit, they didn't have any issue with things that I uncovered hmm. in the course of my reporting. I mean, well, they may have, but they didn't take issue with me. Uh, you know, I think early on we discussed the idea that, like, I didn't want to reveal too much of their strategy and that I wouldn't reveal any of it. Uh, in terms of, like, upcoming, you know? Like, if I knew that somebody was hurt before a game, that's not something I would put out on my own Twitter or, you know, try to use us as a way to tell a news story that was separate from this longer piece I'm doing, you know? And so I don't think that... um, I don't want to speak for them, but, like, I don't don't think some of the stuff in terms of retracing plays, you know, bothered them when it's after the fact, you know? And so it was something I was very cognizant of. I didn't want to betray the trust they allowed us to have, you know, in terms of what excess we got, but I also didn't want to tell a story that wasn't true either, and so, you know, I try to really focus in on, like, what makes the Vikings unique? What What is it about their season that stood out? Uh, how did that year unfold? And why was it so different compared to what we never had expected? And so, you know, some of that's caused for discussing strategy and scheme and things that were different or not expected in terms of their season, but I tried to really keep everything in its place, you know, where, where that was necessary is where I used it and where it wasn't, you know, I left a lot of stuff in the notebook too.
0: Greg, how did you see the team evolve over the course of the season from the the start of the year where there was so much uh, hype and anticipation for how Kirk Cousins was going to look with with this offense and, you know, some of the things that they dealt with in the offseason with the passing of Tony Sperano and then going through training camp and, and all of that and then – you know, you get you get the win to start the year, and then they then they hit sort of a, a rough patch with the tie in Green Bay after Daniel Carlson misses the field goals, and then they have the home loss to Buffalo that a lot of people were at least from the fan standpoint, the fans were really sort of perplexed and upset about you know how do you lose a, a home game to the Buffalo Bills in the way that they did, and then then you have the Everson Griffin situation. I mean, this team went through has gone through so many different things just in the last handful of months. Into the season, and how have you, you know, from your perspective, how have you seen, seen this team sort of evolve and, and handle all of those situations?
1: Sure. And, you know, I guess I should start by saying uh, I, I just want to apologize to Vikings fans because the SI Jinx doesn't, doesn't work in real time quite that quickly and, uh, <laughs> you know, after the fact. Uh, you know, to me, like, I, I look at things in terms of narrative arc, and, like, that's what was really interesting to me in terms of how the season evolved. Here you have a great defense that for years has been one of the best units in the league, and it just it took them a while to get it together this year. They're obviously playing really well again now, but, you know, that tied to league trends. It tied to rule changes, and that's stuff that we trace in the story. But it also ties to a guy like Everson Griffin, who, you know, 10 people told me he was the heart and soul of their team. You know, being gone for the first basically half of the season in this crazy incident before, you know, the Buffalo game that, like, you know, it just seemed like that he had a lot going on and some stuff that he needed to address. And so, you know, that's unusual. But it's also, I think, speaks to this NFL year. Then you have this offense that looks great at the beginning of the year and this quarterback who looks to have fulfilled all expectations. And, you know, there was some unevenness there that I think they didn't anticipate that, you know, I think we trace in the story as well. And so, I think what it shows is just how hard it is to get all these things going at once, you know? Like, here's a team that has for years, like, worked with, you know, getting a better kicker and they even drafted a guy this year and yet he comes in and he basically costs them a game, like, right off the bat. Like, how do you deal with that? You know, what do you do in terms of getting ready from that moment to make sure your whole season, which is so promising, doesn't unravel. And so, you know, I think when I first started the story, I envisioned writing more about Sort of the team's management and how it operates and like this new facility and how it came to be and how these resources really help a team that's on the cusp of everything it wants and i think because of those events and because of the way that the season involved it just sort of changed you know the tenor of the story and how ultimately I ended up writing about them and i think in a way that was more interesting because there's tension there you know um so I would say the season evolved pretty dramatically and a lot, and it was not what I expected at all when I first set out to do the project.
3: What about Rick Spielman? What was, Greg, your perception of Rick, who certainly has some unique quirks about him? What was your perception of Rick when you started the story, and what is your perception of Rick
1: now? Yeah, I think he would be okay with me saying he was sort of the final off, sign-off for all this, you know? So when we were talking about doing it, it was like that was the last stage. It was like, having a conversation with Rick, explaining what I wanted to do, explaining why I didn't think that I would screw up, you know, sort of the strategy of the year and all that kind of stuff. Uh, As it evolved, I loved Rick. I loved dealing with him. I thought he was great. Uh, His quirks to me are like great writing fodder, you know. Uh, My favorite detail in the story maybe was that he likes to put his uh, shoes and socks on superstitiously before his pants. (laughs) I'm not not even (laughs) sure exactly how that works. I'm not quite sure either, (laughs) yeah. uh that was one thing i never got to the bottom of but you know him and his his family they got six adopted children that are you know almost grown now they do a ton of great work in the community i just found him to be really gracious with his time and you know there was maybe a little uh you know back and forth at first as to exactly what i wanted to do and exactly why he might be helpful for it but by the end of it i thought he was one of my favorite people that we were doing a lot of. Uh, you know, talking every week and, like, doing some walks before the game. And just, I, I just think he's a really fascinating guy. You could see why a guy like that survives 13 seasons in the same place, which we just don't see that often in the NFL, period. And I think it's because, you know, he cares a lot about people. He's got a very refined process. And I think that he's found a lot of great players that they've managed to keep on a contract. Like, one thing I think could have come across a little better in the story is this is a young team whose window is just opened. You know, like, this... There should be a team in contention, at least in this regard, as close as they are this year for a number of years. And so, you know, I, I don't think this is like their only shot. And if they don't win a couple of games here, it's all for naught. I think they should be right in the mix for a couple of years to come. Greg, what can you tell us about Mike
0: Zimmer and, and your dealings with Mike Zimmer? Because he kind of, I think to us here, he, he sort of has, at least he lets off this, persona that he doesn't like dealing with the media and he doesn't like doing the the pressers that he has to do you know during the week and you know all that stuff but what you know in your dealings with him over the course of putting together this story for the vikings what what was what was that like dealing with uh, dealing with
1: zim yeah he might have been my favorite character in the story you know i i, I find him to be like crusty but in like a, an endearing sort of way and so I wouldn't say that I spent a ton of time with him. You know, I think usually when I went out there, we met briefly. And I felt like I learned a lot every time I met with him. I felt like he was no nonsense, straight to the point. Uh, I answered all the questions. I thought there was some really humanizing stuff with him and the story in terms of him sleeping at his office. I, I really wanted people to feel that this isn't just, you know, an 8-6-1 uh, season. This is a season that, like, these are real people involved here that are winning and losing real games and that have their own... Sort of family stuff they got to deal with, and have to like you know he's going back to the office to watch film and sleep in there overnight, and he's telling them they can't turn the fireplace on because he doesn't want them to be soft. And I just thought he was really sort of a, a very human character, and that I, I felt like if if you spend some time around him, you can see just how much he relates to players because he tells them how it is. He's a very straight shooter, and you know he's not going to change for anybody. So. You know, the the time that I spent with him, that really came across to I me. Mean. Harrison
3: Smith, similar in those regards? I mean, to us, Harrison is very robotic, Greg. Right? I mean, he doesn't offer much in terms of, you know, his interactions with us in the media. I mean, his answers are very vanilla. He's not a bad guy, and he's a phenomenal player. But in the story, you lay out how vocal he's been in some of those team meetings.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that he is a—I think a lot of Zimmer's guys are sort of built in his own image, you know? I think the Vikings are a team that where a lot of these guys weren't supposed to be here. You know, like, Weatherly's a seventh-round pick. Thielen's a tryout guy. You know, Diggs is a fifth-rounder. You know, Cousins was let go by the Redskins. Mike, Mike himself coached through all those eye surgeries. You know, Rick was a guy who survived 13 years as a general manager in the NFL when you're just not supposed to do that. Uh, Everson Griffin was a the guy they were about to let go until the D-line coach comes in and says, no, he's your best player you got to play. And I just think that all those things tie together in a way that gives the Vikings sort of an ethos of toughness where they sort of draw a little bit of motivation or strength from that and so, to me, Harrison fits perfectly in that realm in that, like, you know, he's one of the best players in the league, but he's very, no-nonsense, and he's very much a guy who's built in Zimmer's image. And so, you know, I I think that came across to me, too, that there are a lot of guys, I think, that play for Zimmer because they fit what he wants in a player. And... Yeah, you know, to me that's probably what makes the Vikings the you know, the Vikings that we've seen the past few years.
3: This is Greg Bishop of SI. The story is a season in the heartland. He had inside access to the Vikings going back the last four months. We'll end with this, Greg. I mean, was there any temptation to see this thing through? Was it your own personal choice to end it, to write it right now? I mean, was there any temptation to say, okay, you know, can the Vikings win a couple games in January? Can can I see if maybe they make it to Atlanta in early February and write the story then?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, that's more a function of the magazine publishing than it is a function of their season. Like, if they were going to have a buy in the playoffs, we probably would have done the first issue in January. But to me, it's like I I didn't want to lose the magazine space. I wanted to make sure that I got it in. And if I waited, I worried that they'd be done before we published again. Mm -hmm. And so it could be a matter of losing this weekend even, you know, and then we don't get to run any of it and i got to say i have enough stuff here that i'll probably be writing a lot of stories about the vikings for a long time yeah like you'll see this creep up in other places but i also think that uh, you know i wanted to make sure i got a good magazine story in we got about half of the story into the magazine this week and you know i just think that um i just think that uh you know i didn't want to mess around with that now if they if they were like uh, you know 12 at 2 and had a buy we probably would have waited for the issue that comes out two weeks from now but as is now, it's, uh, you know, this way is sort of a combination. And if they play well, uh, I think you'll see me back out that way in pretty shortly.
3: Greg, Happy New Year. Thank you for doing this. And hopefully we can do this maybe again sometime in January if the Vikings do play here for another few weeks.
1: I uh, appreciate you having me, guys. Thank you.
3: At the voice of Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated, the story is a season in the heartland. Greg had inside access to the Vikings going back the last four months. When we come back here on 1500 ESPN – We will continue the Vikings dialogue. It's the Mackey and Judd Show with Darren Doogie Wolfson here on 1500 ESPN.
1: Don't go anywhere. More Mackey and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, To the medicine, cabinet On 1500 ESPN.
0: What is it you're trying to
1: say? Now, back to Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
0: All right, quick check on traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studio, 35E northbound. We've got a crash. Uh, in little canada it 's between Roseland avenue and highway thirty six maybe slowing things down just a little bit, but uh, otherwise traffic moving around rather smoothly
2: yeah it 's going to be heightened sense of of urgency really for us it's playoffs have already started you know we know that we have to win this game in order to get into them and you know so there has to be heightened sense of focus and energy and you know study time and things like that and then you know you got to make sure that you 're bodies arrested, rested and you know you understand that it's going to be a physical football game on sunday
3: it's the vikings and bears sunday 325 u.s bank stadium that the voice of vikings coach mike zimmer the vikings injury report from today is out xavier rhodes eric kendricks cj ham and marcus sherels all did not practice linval joseph and mike remmers missed practice yesterday Those guys were back in limited duty today. I think it's safe to say Joseph and Remmers play Sunday. Mm -hmm. As for the other four, Manny, when you're missing all of practice on Wednesday and Thursday, the two key install days, then it becomes tricky. Not unheard of, especially for a veteran like Rhodes, for example. We could see him out there. But when you miss the Wednesday practice, you miss the Thursday practice. It's a safe bet that some, if not all of those guys, won't play on Sunday.
0: And with Rhodes, especially with, with the hamstring, I wonder if, I think we'll see him Sunday, but I don't know if we'll see him for the entire game. I think we'll see him probably in, in a more limited type of role.
3: And we've so, seen that before.
0: Right. With yeah. Holton
3: Hill getting his snaps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think with hamstrings, those things are tricky, man. And those things can linger for a while if you don't take you know if you don't handle them properly and and you know get try to ease guys back into things so that's that's the one that I'm going to be looking at was Xavier Rhodes cuz I I think we'll see him but it probably won't it probably won't be for the entire game we'll probably see him sort of rotate in and out and Holton Hills played well so it's not like I mean, you're you're losing a lot when Rhodes isn't in the lineup, but Holden Hill's held his own pretty good in the last he few He has, weeks.
3: and against some good quarterbacks, yeah. including at U.S. Bank Stadium against Drew Brees. I mean, you mm-hmm. think about the Vikings' pass defense this year at U.S. Bank Stadium. So, to me, if the Bears find a way to have offensive success on Sunday, I would think it comes on the ground, not via the pass with Mitch Trubisky. But you're right about hamstring injuries. I mean, I told you, and I'll reiterate it because the audience is ever-changing, that My intel from a few days ago was it was trending in the right direction on Eric Hendricks. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at this point, it looks like he's going to miss another game. And six different Viking starters have missed at least one game this year because of a hamstring injury from Anthony Barr. We know how long it took Dalvin Cook, Chad Beebe. Heck, if Beebe was healthy a couple weeks ago, he would have played. You know, and he's still now a little dinged up, so I don't even know if we'll see BB. Maybe Treadwell's back in there on Sunday. Now, the Bears are also dinged up. Eddie Jackson, Aaron Lynch, Allen Robinson. Signs point to all three of those guys being out. Kyle Long, really good offensive lineman, may be back. He's been out for many, many weeks. Mm-hmm. They want to get him some work before the playoffs, so he may be back in there. I will say thank you, Mike Zimmer. Zimmer was asked today, and we can get into this with Tom Palacero at 515 from the NFL Network, but Mike said, go ahead and put the Eagles score at the stadium. Remember years ago, it was Brad Childress, the Vikings, I forget the exact circumstances, but Childress didn't want some score up on the Metrodome scoreboard. Didn't want anybody <laughs> drifting in that direction. Zimmer's like, we, we don't care. <laughs> I don't care.
0: We need to win. I think it was, I'm trying to think of, was that the year in '08? maybe? When they needed to beat the Giants to get into the playoffs. They needed the Bears to lose.
3: What year did they cut Marcus Robinson on Christmas Eve? Was that that 07 or 08? That was
0: was Chili's first year in 06.
3: That was 06. Okay, so it wasn't that year.
0: I think this was 08 because I remember Longwell kicked a long field goal against the Giants as time expired to win the NFC. Oh, i to you. I know players.
3: about your Vikings memory. Yeah. So. It was a year before You and Collar five. don't forget football details. So. It, was, it was
0: 08, I think, the I first year. I will completely Allen, defer that, to you. I know. Yeah. But yeah, thank I'm such you, a nerd Sam. when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, so
3: all the important <laughs> NFC games start at 325 on Sunday. I'm on record. I think the Vikings find a way.
0: I do I do too. I also
3: think the Bears will pull guys in the second half. I just I think it makes logical sense if the Rams are up by double digits over the Niners. So if people don't know, the Bears are either the 3 seed or the 2. They can't move down. They can't be the 4. Right. So they either play that first weekend wild card weekend or they can jump up to 2 based on their defeat of the Rams a few weeks ago if the Rams lose to the Niners. The Rams get the lowly Niners in Los Angeles, and the Niners are playing a little bit better the last couple of weeks. Let's, but you would think the Rams find a way, right?
0: I would think so. Let's come back with this. Let's break quick and come back with this because I have a question for you. Sure. I already kind of know what my answer is on this, on uh, what you what seed you would prefer to have if you are the Vikings, if you're going into the playoffs.
3: Okay, let's get into that. It's a power-packed 5 o'clock hour. Tom Pellicero, the agent for Nelson Cruz, may join. And we will wrap with Royce. Stay with us.
2: Mackie and Judd will return shortly Guys, I thought we were in a hurry On 1500 ESPN